Um, so welcome to the um, promo video for mine, um, Metanomad, and Matt Cahoon, uh, Xenogothic, the course, um, The Philosophy and Politics of Accelerationism, uh, which is a course we should be releasing this Friday coming, which is the 24th of July 2020, if you're watching this video a long time from now. So we're, this, this is going to be sort of an hour-long promo, just chatting about accelerationism, what we were hoping to... Um, achieve with the course. So I'll start just by briefly saying that my philosophy lectures I'm doing, and Matt's doing the politics lectures, the philosophy lectures are largely based off my thesis, Accelerationism, Capitalism as Critique, but they do serve as a big expansion on that, especially with regards to desire. So the philosophy lectures are sort of underlying the philosophical process and what we mean when we say accelerate the process. Um, and I'm sure there'll be big connections to Matt's work. But Matt, what huge question what what were you sort of trying to target with the the politics lectures yeah um i feel like the i mean for me especially and i think maybe for everyone um when it comes to talking about politics of accelerationism today in 2020 there is the long shadow of a lot of the quite horrible stuff that's been done in its name in more recent years um and i guess my starting point was to think how um, a politics of accelerationism can sort of stand on its own two feet uh, with that with that association, and what happens that how it got from a sort of yeah blogosphere point of you know niche philosophy and politics even more so than it is now, uh, and, and then end up yeah with sort of uh, mass shootings and yeah. So my my half of the course is just basically new research for me is that uh, the initial moment of emergence for accelerationism seemed to be um, regarding what Elaine Badu called a crisis in negation. The, everything that initially emerged from the blogosphere before any of the publications came out in sort of the late 2000s was talking about um, how we escape this moment of apparent cultural and political stasis and avoiding yeah, what Deleuze and Guattari call that that uh, process of deterritorialization and the inevitable re-territorialization. And what became quite ironic to me in researching this was that the the sort of far-right accelerationism that we've seen in the last few years that's, you know, depending on who you are, has kind of dealt a fatal blow to this conversation, um, is just resembles, for, uh, taking this long perspective, looks like this sort of re-territorialization um, it is, it is turning accelerationism into the very thing it first set out to critique. And a lot of people have said that online in the aftermath. And I guess this course just um, goes deep and tries to excavate what that means. It shows the receipts, basically, for that claim. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's a real inherent problem um, with the, the sort of white suit. Every time accelerationism is mentioned in the media now, which is increasingly... Um, you know, it's a lot. It's coming, turning up time and time again as sort of a signifier of like radical right-wing terrorism, basically, or it's sort of the the new equivalent of a more of a more extreme fascism. Um, and I guess for any of those following the the news, their definition seems to be that accelerationism is acceler. They've made a sort of for me and uh, a transcendental mistake in that. They're understanding accelerationism just from phenomena. So they are they understand accelerationism basically as people who want to accelerate the worst parts of society, so society just crashes and burns. This is the 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 mainstream media's definition of accelerationism. And one of the the real inherent problems is is that we can't actually ignore this definition because it is still part of the process. So like like Nick says, Nick Land says, who's sort of ironically called the father of accelerationism even though he's he is right wing which doesn't help matters um <laughs> the point is that what comes from the actual transcendental process of accelerationism can still be said to be it but it's a symptom so it's like well it's interesting to look at the way in which accelerationism is evolving but whatever caricature it takes in that moment that isn't it in in its substance in its essence you know that isn't it completely so it's like yeah it might be this now um but that's a symptom of something happening on a far deeper level so what is it yes. 
what is it that led people to want to push things in this direction? And why is the underlying direction taking it to this point? Whether or not that point is like ideologically charged isn't really the point with respect to the actual process. The process is how 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 and why are things moving and in what direction are they moving? So it's sort of just a confusion of confusing like what's going on at a societal level with what's going on underneath that, which is um, sort of the difficult thing because if you're not philosophically literate, shall we say, then you're never going to get to that level. And I'm hoping that our course will sort of say, look, here's what it was before it got sort of tarnished because obviously something so controversial and like an absolute stoppage, like no one wants to say, no one wants to sort of, when you have something so abhorrent as right-wing terrorism and a shooting, no one wants to be the person to say like, let's look at this in a different light because you instantly come across this kind of like, hang on, are you sympathizing with it? It's like, no, no, no. But, but when we strip away the aesthetic here and what's going on at societal level, there's a, there's a point that we were talking about years and years ago, which has now been overtaken because this thing is so monolithic that you don't, you know, people hand it with kitty kitty clubs because they don't want to go near it. But it's like, that isn't really what it is. But, you know, it's always a horrible thing to say. It's like when you start saying that isn't what it is, you're coming across to someone who's like, I know what accelerationism is. And we're sort of, I think we're trying to finally outline the beginning points, I think. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know what you make of that. Well, that's what I found really interesting in going back right to the beginning. Because um, I always had the, um, at least in, in terms of its blogospheric emergence, I always just had this idea that, accelerationism kind of grew out of what was called hauntology uh, and it was kind of a reaction to it um so mark fisher writing about hauntology in on his blog in the mid 2000s and then there was a backlash to that and then accelerationism kind of emerged as this new revitalized thing and it's interesting to think of it like that because what seemed to happen with hauntology was that you had this group of thinkers online that were responding to something that they were seeing at a social level as you say like you know this this sense that nothing culturally new is being produced why is this you know is that just a superficial reading or is this a symptom of something deeper down and then you get this weird irony where the very people that a lot of these writers are talking about um who they see as sort of like uh, they describe as hauntological a lot of them just assume that what this blogosphere is doing is just compartmentalizing their cultural activities and sort of trying to, you know, hauntology is not turn it um, just rather than being like a kind of symptomatology of of our cultural postmodern moment. It's just another way to, you know, throw a novel new genre at something that's trying to stay clear of this kind of capitalist um, uh, process of appropriation. Which, yeah, the great irony of that is that, yeah, hauntology then becomes seen as the very thing it was trying to critique. And it's kind of interesting to see that happen. And then accelerationism basically do the same thing. Um, and it's not to say that, yeah, not to say that this new far accelerationism isn't accelerationism. Um, it's just like the, it's like the meeting point of this Ouroboros process. It's the, it's the, it's the starting point buying the tail. Um, uh, and that in itself, I think, you know, that's that that seeing that culturally, I think, is it makes it easier to apprehend what's happened to the kind of cynical and cyclical capitalist level. But yeah, that in a way, that image, um, I assume, uh, is you know, is a great starting point for getting into actually a lot of deeper philosophical questions. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing that Nick. Um, Land does outline in a quick and dirty introduction to cap uh, to accelerationism is that you know the very nature of accelerationism is if you think you've caught the thing you know if you outlined like you said with the uh, Ouroboros there if you outlined the the head biting the tail and said that's it that's the final loop it's like no 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 you've found one iteration of this process what we're trying to do is go one level deeper and say you know where's this process come from what is it that's pulling the strings of the process in itself any sort of symptoms or reactions or emanations that come from the process are certainly interesting to look at you could sort of say well why did that happen and draw it back and say 
oh, the pro- you know, this is happening with the process, this got re-territorialized or things along these lines. But but if you take one of those as the definition of the whole system itself, then you're going to get very muddled. And I think this is sort of the big, um, the big problem is sort of with, especially with the aesthetic of accelerationism, something we chatted about briefly before we started this. It's like with the aesthetic of accelerationism and, and the, the attitude and the culture, which is certainly very clear. It's sort of uh, very highly online at the moment. Um, big influence from 90s cyber culture, very sort of accelerative in the actual traditional definition of like techno-economic um, SpaceX, you know, just bring everything new in. And that attitude, which sort of came around with the beginnings of accelerationism as a very coherent, well, relatively coherent idea in 2017, people still see that as the, as like the attitude and the the culture of it. But it's like, well, no, the, but that's there certainly because the actual, the actual process of accelerationism is this extremely, um, well, sounds dumb, but accelerative thing. So you sort of, lo- people, I think, locked onto the, social culture which was closest to an understanding of that so it's like what's the Mm. culture we know which is you know super fragmenting super atomized and it is that's why i think it's adhered to a sort of very highly online um just atomized culture where you sort of feel like you have this freedom to just go down any avenue and accelerate it and go into the most sort of deep balladian depth of accelerative absurdity and i think that's why there is these why it's adhered to it that's why it adheres to the most radical notions of everything it touches is because it does accelerate it so it's never going to be part of some sort of relatively calm system because the very nature of it is always going to push it to the point where you something almost breaks and you've reached the point of like wow you know that really is radical but uh, the uh, the problem is at that point is when it sort of dissipates and goes off somewhere else and this is sort of the process of schizophrenia with Deleuze and Guattari which I touch on um so yeah i don't know i don't know if that comes up in your political in the politics lectures yeah i mean not so in the background for sure i mean i, I, def- I certainly don't go as so deeply into it because uh, these are kind of things that i yeah i'm gladly rightly assumed that you were you're covering in your size um and i guess it's that i guess it's interesting this that why i guess this is why i find it interesting the way that we've done this um, in terms of you covering philosophy and me covering politics, is that what I've found in my side is that those, in a lot of ways, the very question for politics, um, <clears throat> the politics of accelerationism, is why is there a distance? Or how do we correct this distance between philosophy and politics? Um, the politics can be just r- r- uh, uh, brought down to the question of what is to be done. We have this, yeah, we, we've, we've diagnosed this problem. We've seen you know, some ex- to some extent, the the deeper machinations of it. So, what do we do in response, if anything? Um, and yeah, the way that that question then becomes dis- yeah removed from um, philosophy, in the sense that you know, I think that's kind of the the. And I've heard some people talk about the the sort of right wing, the far right. The far right, for, well, calling it far right, I almost feel like it's better to call it like a four chan accelerationism. Um, be honest about where it's emerged from, um, but in a way, it's like that. I've also heard people call that like a non-philosophical accelerationism, which I find like an interesting thing to call it, uh, as if to say, does that mean it's purely political? But then, you know, to what extent is there even a politics there if, if it's not informed by some sort of deeper um, analysis of what's going on? Um, so it's that again. It's also that sense of to what extent that distancing of these two things is also part of this process that that is being a uh, uh, that that we're, that we're trying to critique uh, this accelerative process. Um, as if to say, it's sort of like a G-force thing. Like if you, I just um, you know, you you put two things in a in a in a fastly um, uh, a fast spinning sort of I don't know. Uh, I've just got the, the vision of like a, a roundabout in my head um, of like uh, a kid with a moped wheel stuck on the side. <laughs> um, uh, you know, you, you sit two people either side of that and you attach a moped wheel to it. They're going to fly off in different directions. And part of the politics, I think, 
deals with that quite explicitly. So yeah, you get that kind of schizophrenic sense of uh, this. This yeah, it's easy to, to to gather a schizophrenic understanding of things there. But again, yeah, I guess my side, it's more of like, what's the actual experience of that beyond the 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 the, the deep down sort of philosophical analysis? What does it actually feel like? But yeah, the impact of that process, like at a, at, a, at a sort of material, like or even like, I guess, it's, what does that mean in immediacy? Is one question too that I think my 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 side wants to ask. Um, what is immediacy uh, in a Marxist sense? Um, being you know the the that which is immediately apparent to us, and to what extent is that immediacy more or less an illusion? Uh, yeah, I guess that is a, it's that metaphor in that sense, you know, of like what are the What's the material outcome of this process um, that makes us feel wholly out of control? And yeah, what if anything is there to do about it? What's, no, what's interesting that you outlined there is one of the problems with, well, one of the really interesting things about accelerationism with regard to the politics and with regards to the philosophy is that there's this sort of strange moment where all politics combines in that all sides are agreed upon one thing, which is like, we're not going in any direction that any side wants. So like, you know, Nick out outlines this as well when he says that capitalism is this system that no one really wanted in its current form, but it's what we've got. So it's like, we're not moving in, a, in, a, in a, an actual conservative direction. You know, we're not conserving anything. We're not moving in a communist direction because, well, um, I'm sure you, you, you can comment on that great, great than I, I can, but it doesn't seem to be that we are. We're not moving in a fascist direction. But at the same time, there seems to be tiny snippets from each of these being used sporadically in random places, which is the really interesting thing. And I think that it's that problem of something that is actually connecting all of these in the problem of stagnance, which is where it connects to the philosophical. Because the philosophy is about how on a philosophical or specifically transcendental level do limits get broken and do we break into other things? And it's this problem of, well, what is what if there is something such in this point in this in the example of accelerationism which is capitalism which can adhere to all systems at once and this is like the big problem right yeah yeah um yeah the one thing that is kind of the the main background for my side of the course is basically marxism um but also kind of crises that happen within marxism so yeah talking to the point of if we're you know is there any possibility that we're heading towards communism um in a way, that's also one of those early accelerationist questions. Um, for Marx, the 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 assumption was that um, capitalism will inevitably lead to socialism or communism um, because it can't help. But um, this was again when 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 Badiou talks about a crisis of negation, uh, he's talking about what Marx calls the negation of the negation, and Marx talks about this in terms of like uh, individual property. So feudalism. Uh, completely abjures the sense that anyone can, any uh, well, the proletariat especially can own their own home, and then capital. As we transition to capitalism, this glimmer of uh, the possibility of owning your own home kind of comes back into the fore. The sense that you're not just paying a kind of, um, you're not working specifically for a feudal lord, um, but you kind of abstract that process where you go to work and then you still you pay the landowner. Um, but yeah, capitalism as a way to kind of keep itself going um, has to then, you know, negate its own negation. It has to reintroduce this idea of individual property. And for Marx, the interesting result of this could be, you know, if individual property is universal, if everybody owns everything that they own, then you don't have individual property anymore. You have social ownership. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, so for Marx in that sense, you know, the negation of the negation, which we see capitalism doing, um, leads to socialism. But the problem then you get later on in the 20th century um, is there's already this awareness that this isn't quite, you know, this isn't quite uh, going to go so smoothly. Capitalism has a tendency to well, again, re-territorialized to kind of to uh, to implement a certain drag on itself, to hold on to as much as it pushes and and drives itself towards progress, so it doesn't you know exceed its own bounds. It places a certain amount of drag so that um, it can remain in some sort of static form. 
And you see that now where, you know, we don't necessarily have the, the, uh, the idea of individual property is again being like, um, uh, negated even further so that now rent is kind of like a norm, not just in terms of you rent where you live, but you also rent culture. You rent, you have a Netflix subscription, a Spotify subscription, where you don't own any of the media that you're enjoying. You, you subscribe to access to it. Um, and this sense of what some people, I think Peter Fraze calls this, uh, 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 rentism, that this is going to, this is one option of a post-capitalist future where, you know, um, capitalism is this sort of a moment of tension completely dissipates and we just have this static rentism where you rent everything. Um, and you know, that causes real problems for Marxism then, you know, there's the, the it's, it brings forth to the fore this problem of agency, which is shared absolutely with accelerationism. Um, you know, is it a case that we do nothing because the system's going to go a certain way on its own? Or is there a sense that, you know, capitalism needs a bit of assistance from us to become something new? Um, and that's a question that's asked in 2007 before the accelerationist reader, before most of the books are published on it. And that's a question that we're still arguing about. Yeah, I mean, what, not to, well, we, we can touch on conclusions because there's never really going to be a conclusion. What is your direction with that with respect to human agency actually being able to do something with capitalism? Um, I mean, I'm, I think personally, I'm on the side of that um, we have to do something. Uh, I know this is, uh, you know, um, my sense is, not quite clean, not quite so clear cut, but maybe comes from what um, Ray Brazier used to write in terms of his Prometheanism, whereas to say that you know the, 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 his his nihilistic vision of the universe is fundamentally a scientific one. Science uh, increasingly reveals to us that nature is indifferent to us and you know has no interest in our survival. Again, that's no longer just a nihilist position, but a realist position. Um, but Brazier kind of points out that even if that's the case, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do anything. We, you know, as a species, we've always intervened in our own destiny um, through you know inventions and scientific uh, um, progressions that have you know fundamentally changed how we understand these kind of these supposed givens of human existence, specifically birth, suffering, and death. We know that we're all going to be born, we're all going to suffer, and we're all going to die. But uh, how horrific those experiences are have changed radically even within the last 50 years. You know, you're not born the same way as you once were. It's not quite as dangerous as it used to be. Um, so those sorts of things are like, uh, you know, that, that's for Brazier is to say that the, the universe isn't different to us, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't do anything. It kind of, it makes doing something an imperative. And I feel like, Personally, I think that you know, a response to capitalism is the same thing. We can acknowledge that capitalism is wholly indifferent to our survival, and that's precisely why it's up to us to, you know, we, that gives us an imperative to do something. What that something is, I have no idea. Um, and uh, it's, but it's interesting, I think, for me to, to sort of track how that very question has been going on for 15 years. And I think it's easy to say that it, the fact that it hasn't had an answer is quite depressing. But also, you know, the fact that it hasn't had an answer and hasn't gone away um, kind of shows that it's quite, uh, you know, it's a persistent question um, that, you know, again, a lot of accelerationist discourse at the moment kind of focuses on that and ridicules it. And it's like, well, yeah, we've been talking about this for 15 years. Uh, we're, we're not we're not unaware of this problematic. It's in, if anything, it's the core problem. Um and, you know, thinking about it, yeah, thinking about it is part of the imperative, right? To actually address this issue is a starting point. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how I feel anyway. And I hope, yeah, this side of the course um, gives a certain background as to why that is an imperative and should be. Well, yeah, it, it does strangely mirror my side of the course in the, in the sense that we've Deleuze, he outlines, or sorry, Deleuze and Qatari, they outline this sort of relatively, not watertight, but coherent system with respect to how schizophrenia works and how um, the schizophrenia takes a line of flight and with regards to the same and difference. But there's always this underlying question of, well, how does difference 
happen. It sort of explained how it comes in and the me- and the mechanisms which allow that and the the alterations of time which allow that. But there's always this question of like, well, how do we can we channel schizophrenia? Well, how do we get in contact with it? How do we actually use this? Because to you know, we're talking about this problem here with regards to in philosophical terms, the same, right? It's like the return of the same, and that's the frustration. So what we're looking for is difference in itself, and this is the big question. I think it's almost the same question seen from two different angles, one political and one philosophical, which is, well, how the hell do we find and use the difference in itself? And, you know, this is where I think um, certain... This is probably why a lot of the CCRU's work can be considered accelerationist, because they're sort of saying, well... Things such as William Burroughs' cut-up technique, um, alternative means of doing philosophy, alternative ways of doing things and perceiving things, and to a certain extent sort of um, mind-altering drugs to a certain degree, or anything which is sort of altering your perception of reality, can allow difference in, but it's not controlled. And this is one of the problems is with, you know, and this is why the question is still there, is because it's such a big question of, well, you know, you can't just go out and go, I'm going to make something different because I'm reminded of the Bergson thing of like when someone said to Henry Bergson, which, you know, this came up in a recent chat. So I can't take credit for knowing this. Someone recently mentioned this to me, but someone said to Bergson, oh, you're an intellectual, you know, um, you um, you read a lot of books. What will the, the works, the big works in 20, 50, 100 years look like? And he said, well, if I knew they'd already be done. And this is the problem which Leotard outlines. And he says, well, if you have a frontier, if you have a limit, you no longer have a limit because you understand to have a limit, you have to understand both sides of a limit. So we're sort of stuck in this point of like, it's like a non-frontier. You know, we understand there's this limit, but it's so elusive. It's like this non-limit, which isn't there. So we almost need to find this way of definition or defining things. And then we can finally move beyond it. But it's this first limit which we can't move beyond because something else is in control of how it moves and this is the you know this is the big problem which we've been talking about so i think yeah like you said it's sort of redundant when people say oh you've been struggling with this for years it's sort of like saying well yeah but people have been struggling with the the meaning of you know, people have been struggling with epistemology for years it's the same thing it's um yeah it's um, a big question mm-hmm. and big questions are good questions i guess that's that's it right and it's and and too often acceleration is, is reduced to a small question but i think that's yeah that's that came up in my side too there was a there was a definition that um i mean yeah i think especially for the early blogosphere leotard's the original economy in particular is sort of acknowledged as like this great um the book of accelerationism um at least from the perspective of the 70s and then there was and there was a there was a post that mark fisher wrote sort of uh expanding on um his love of that book or his sort of perverse admir- admiration for that book. Um, no doubt from, you know, yeah, the influence of Nick Land at Warwick. And he has this definition where he says that, um, capitalism is a, is a, is not really, uh, it's not a, it's formless, but it, you know, it's, it's a name for, for attention. Uh, um, not attention, but a kind of tension, um, where, um, you know, we can understand the, 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 this process of pure capitalism as a dissolution without limits. Um, but at every step of the way, that, that process is in tension with inhibition. Um, and how do you, you know, if, if you manage to disarticulate the link between this dissolution without limits and inhibition, um, you get something new. And arguably, you don't even have capitalism anymore. You have something else. Um, uh, and that seems to be, yeah, he sort of frames that as being Leotard's argument that, you know, if you, to remove this, to remove a sense of capitalism's own sense of its limitless limit or limit, limited limitlessness. Um, uh, when you, when you remove that paradox, you kind of, yeah, you, you end up dealing with a whole, the kettle of fish. Um, and that in itself is interesting as if to, you know, to, to truly have some new kind of, um, defining process of social relation is enough of a starting point for a lot of those accelerationists rather than it being, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be socialism or communism, some kind of post-capitalism, some new form um, that we haven't seen before um, is better than this stasis. 
Um, and I think, yeah, you know, politically, it's that same. It's yeah, it's that it's that argument mirrored. If you know what it, if you know what it looks like, um, uh, yeah, you've probably got less chance of getting there. I was well. I guess I was interested to know one of the things that is not so prevalent in my side, mm-hmm. but which I was anticipating was prevalent for you, was this notion of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. This is a this is a difficult thing because when we we begin to talk about accelerationism. It's so caught up with the sociological context now and the political context, but the the sort of non-philosophical political context, the everyday mainstream, very quick news snippet type context, that it has sort of been removed from its, I would argue, home as, as a theory of time. It was sort of, you know, dare I say it, originally a theorization of time, and it's a philosophy of time, and how... Time has this sort of strange pressure. And with, you know, this is why I utilize Deleuze, Deleuze's three syntheses so much, is because that there's something very interesting in the way that they can actually compute what we, how we're understanding accelerationism politically, even though I don't touch on this. But, you know, just to think about the Deleuze's first synthesis, where your, your present is simply the past retained and the future anticipated but you're completely passive to it that present is what you can sort of understand as the the white supremacist understanding of accelerationism or the 90s cyber culture you know that's a single present in in doing that you're passive to it and you're getting caught up in something which is still moving without you uh, or well it's moving moving you and but you're getting caught up in one single present and then when you begin to look at the second synthesis and begin to have this aimed memory of looking back at these different nodes, that's when you can begin to understand that there's, there is this differentiation. And once you can sort of step back from that and understand there's these modes where it's become different things at different times, well, then you can start to see, well, hang on, there must be some underlying thing which is actually controlling all of this, which is sort of what we're on about. And that's when the third synthesis comes in, which is really important, which I consider basically the the entire structure of how what it is to accelerate and what the actual process is, is the the cut on the, the cyclic external return where something different comes in and something new comes in. And we're sort of stuck in this weird conjunction where it's like, I would, I would sort of push to say that very, very briefly, what Deleuze is arguing is that you have the Nietzschean eternal return, which is just a circle of time, um, which Deleuze sort of sees at certain points as the return of the same. So the same thing is returning, whether or not it's aesthetically different, we don't know. And there's this sort of strange stagnance with regard to the politics is where it's very difficult to discern what's returning and in what sense and whether or not something that's returning is the same or different. We're on about this stagnance, but everything seems so different. And this is why I think, you know, what when Deleuze says there's a cut on the eternal return, and this is the point where it starts to... Um, structure time so if you have a if you cut the eternal return you can have a before and then an after and you suddenly have this event and then you have a new future and the point that i try to make is that with this third synthesis of Deleuze where there's this cut is that it must be in this that something temporal is happening with accelerationism because to accelerate you need this new future and then you need another new future which is all you know continuously accelerating and obviously if you think of the the eternal return when it's cut, it's sort of decentered from its circle, so it begins to spiral, which is how I understand Nick Land's time spirals. And you know, <clears throat> there's just a lot of problems here with regards to the temporality of what whether whether or not something that's returning is different, whether or not it's the same, and in what sense is there being a new future produced um, from the cut? And acceleration in, in that sense is the production of the future. And it's building upon these produced futures, but as you you know, as is clear at the moment, what's being produced seems to be caught up in something that's already happened on a mm. on a political level. So that is you know that's the, the the temporal theory of it. And then of course you, with regards to the temporal theory, that connects quite directly to each political outlook. So the left accelerationism is. You can sort of run every form of political accelerationism through this towards what an almost preferred, like a time preference they would have, you know. So the left accelerationism 
has this almost low time preference where they just want these relatively immediate technological innovations, which are one of the depressing things about left accelerationism is that, like we were talking about limits and frontiers earlier, is that everything that they're envisioning, which is going to emancipate people, is actually already here because it's it's like we could have UBI everywhere. So it's like we've already know conceptually what UBI is. So this isn't a future. And the same with automation is like they're not thinking or conceptualizing of automation in any new way. It's like we could have more automated tills, tills or more jobs could be automated. So it's like you're still within this certain structure which we're stuck within, but people are have this pseudo form of emancipation in it. So it's like this limit that they haven't gone beyond so it's quite it's actually their futures are actually as far as i'm concerned present because of the things they're on about are already here in certain forms um and i think that's probably key where the the unconditional accelerationism and left accelerationism differ is that the unconditional accelerationists are at least dealing with um what isn't here yet what hasn't arrived um and obviously to a certain extent right right accelerationism you know, it's it's just that's just touchy waters, isn't it? I mean, we don't. Yeah. Um, I always put that just down to the singularity, but people have started renaming that the singularity accelerationism, Landian accelerationism, which I think is a bit more apt. Um, as for right accelerationism, I just I've yet, you know, I there needs to be an outline. But yeah, that's the yeah that's the temporal theory, really. I mean, does that connect in with what you're doing? Yeah, I think so. Uh, a lot more than I expected, actually. Uh, not well, not in the not expected from your side, but actually, that's some things for me. Um, and the, yeah, that's. I mean, that's kind of the there's a there's there's a chapter on yeah the relationship between accelerationism and ontology, and it is essentially um, <clears throat> understanding them as a spiral and essentially described. Really, um, there's a sense that you know the, um, Alex Williams wants described hauntology as, as um a theory of good postmodernism as if to say that um you know that the, the, the hauntology is a is an, a, 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 the hauntological moment in blogosphere was an attempt to describe how this negative feedback loop of the the what was it frederick jameson called the the, the cultural logic of late capitalism this negative feedback loop suddenly starts to become positive um where this, like this, th- these these musicians and artists that are using, they're just they're kind of enjoying the uh, their stasis, this kind of cultural dementia that we're going through, and in the process of of um, trying to capture that feeling, they produce you know a new kind of creative uh, moment. And then the strange irony again said earlier that you know the, in calling it hauntology, then the polarity, you know, despite trying to emphasize the um the uh uh the positivity of that feedback loop and giving it a name they kind of yeah re- inverted the polarity and made it negative again and people turned away from it and accelerationism also seems almost seems to start the other way where it's uh you know it's it's a it's a it starts off as emph- emph- uh, affirming the positive feedback loop of late capitalism um the, at least the 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 the, the, the brief moments where it raises its head and yet again, in, then in naming it, it goes negative. And then there's now this sort of struggle for the last sort of maybe five, ten years to try and make it positive again. Um, and I think, yeah, part of this naming process is, is an interesting one. Um, like, uh, yeah, people referring to, I mean, yeah, I think unconditional accelerationism is sometimes called landing accelerationism. Um, Alex Williams being the initial, first person to um, actually try and provide a, uh, a, a theory of accelerationism um, for 2007 uh, referred to it as a left landingism before taking the name from um, uh, Benjamin Noyes. Um, so in that sense, yeah, it's strange that this is something that I've kind of, it's shifted my own perspective on accelerationism in a way of sort of thinking that, you know, this, I always had my, I've always, I've always been a card carrying unconditional accelerationist. And yet it's the sense of, you know, what what kind of progress is that if we're going back to the start? Is it to sort of say, well, you know, these questions, for me, I feel like a lot of the initial questions of accelerationism, politically speaking, have been obscured. Um, no doubt in part, you know, uh, Alex Williams' blog posts from 2007 would, I think, shock a lot of people now. Um, when, when they are left, when, they, when it's said that it's a left landingism, it's, it's, it's that in, its most, in the most provocative sense. 
and he deleted most of them later on. You can only now access that blog by the way back machine. But it's interesting to you know see that that mode of accelerationism is then uh, rejected and left accelerationism as we kind of know it is sort of seen as a as a tempering of that initial moment of um, you know what 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 I think someone called a kind of theoretical entrepreneurship on his part and. Yeah, every turn there seems to be a case of, you know, people accidentally killing projects they're trying to embolden or, um, or embolden, you know, inadvertently emboldening the projects that they want to, uh, dismiss. Um, and there's all these paradoxes caught up, but again, it's like, it's, 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 it's this interesting, um, well, I find this interesting problem where, you know, there's, 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 there is, there is, there needs to be a certain level of hubris where any person that is, is working with accelerationism, um, you know, it's not to say that because you or I have a, have, have an interest in understanding these dynamics, we're somehow above them. Um, there's this kind of really frustrating sense that the more that you become aware of these dynamics, the more you see them undermining your own projects or before you can even, you know, get to a kind of, settled or not even settled but a kind of really you know a propulsive conclusion and i find that more interesting maybe because i'm a masochist but i find that a lot more interesting than depressing um (laughs) yeah i mean this is why um with my original thesis and with the my lectures is that once again i begin from the from the human and which is sort of a strange thing for a continental to do because continental usually begins from conditions but I, for me, it was actually more interesting. And this is like probably my my disagreement with land is that I still think that the human is important in relation to the process. Um, I think it's silly to say otherwise. Um, you could, of course, argue that, well, it's just that the human is the most important capital asset that it has, right? But I think, you know, beginning from the human and moving out is like, and, and you know, that I understand the human as the smallest kernel which we can understand accelerationism from and i think beginning from the conditions beginning from how accelerationism is in itself is sort of silly because you can't understand that without understanding how it's pulling our strings because we have to assess it in a kantian mode from like we can only understand it once again it's almost like a new way of understanding the thing in itself but in a different format um so we have to understand it in that manner and yeah you know i just think that's land said something which i really really loved and um, with regards to what you were saying about when you're doing these projects it masochistically you realize that acceleration is, is there all the time and it's coming in and one of the really sort of now i think of it very morbid things that land says is that we're in this is in fang new manner from one of his really old essays he says we're doing things before they make sense and that's basically what we have to do now it's like if something you're doing is making sense it's already within this so mm. this was, for me, that quote sort of encapsulates where we might be able to begin to find accelerationist process. Uh, sorry, accelerationist praxis. We're doing things before they make sense. You almost like have to do what Land was doing in Warwick, which is just let yourself be overtaken by the flows of sort of whatever it is you want to be overtaken by and commune with the outside, let the outside in. And then we come back to the question of how the hell do we do that? So, yeah, yeah. sorry, you were going to say? Um, no, I mean, that's really interesting. Um because, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, the, I guess to the, to the first half of what you were saying, it, the part of one question that comes up briefly in my side of the course is, um, you know, how, how we can actually define capitalism. Um, I mean, in, in terms of like categorizing it, is it the result of human, uh, you know, is it just the product of human greed or is it a, a purely inhuman process? Is it human or is it inhuman? Is it natural? Is it unnatural? Um, and part of the very, you know, the, the difficulty of, of trying to, um, deal with capitalism i think is because it does kind of slip between those kind of uh those kind of kinds of understandings and the kind of uh, um at various different levels um but yeah i think that's part of you know part of ha- you know it's, it's a kind of like a the, the starting point for the course for me which i was actually very surprised by i'd never expected to start in this moment was but was with elaine the jew who I'd uh, had not really read too much of before actually starting the research for this project, um, but I found you know there's there's a lot of, of of the initial speculative realist philosophies that were kind of a precursor to accelerationism in a way. Um, took what his charge very seriously, which was that um, you know philosophy has always 
philosophy doesn't exist on its own. It doesn't progress. It, it doesn't. Uh, you know, we don't have philosophical progress by philosophy's own merits. It doesn't doesn't move just through its own activities alone. And he has these like four pillars that um, surround philosophy and influence it, and that philosophy influences in turn, which is science, politics, art, and love. And which I'd kind of just interpret. I mean, I don't know what he means by love. I guess that's kind of like intersubjective kind of understandings. But, you know, he says that in every turn, philosophy is a new philosophy has been needed to birth a new science. So he points to like Plato in mathematics, um, uh, Hegel and Marx in history, um, Nietzsche, Bergson and Deleuze in biology. Um, you know, each of these philosophical, these major figures in philosophy have, have, have helped, you know, fundamentally change how we view a certain type of science. And so he says that, you know, we, there's a new philosophy needed now that can, um, you know, uh, uh, help us come to terms with this, this, this beast called capitalism. That, yeah, as you say, we're, we're doing things before we understand them. We don't really, as much as, you know, Karl Marx left as this ma- ma- mammoth, unfinished work of capital that seems to, you know, predict and describe capitalism's dynamics in kind of incredibly prescient detail, we nevertheless kind of don't understand its effect on us as subjects, on on the world at large, on our perceptions of reality and time. Um, and, you know, it's as if to say that in a way we have new sciences at our disposal that are helping us come to terms with this. Uh, our sort of new cosmic perspective on the planet Earth kind of allows us this newly inhuman view of our own activities. Um, things like quantum mechanics, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of uh, give us a, a better understanding of, of 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 contingency, I guess. But you know, where's the philosophy that kind of combines these new scientific developments in a way that actually you know complements um, these new perspectives of ourselves and the planet that we live on? And he doesn't seem to think that that exists yet, not in a way that it has done for these other um, developments. And it's, yeah, the speculative realists take up this charge very seriously. And it seems to me, at least from the research that I've been doing, that accelerationism was one way of doing this. It was a way of looking at capitalism in itself um, uh, to try and bring about, you know, to kind of almost hyperstition into existence, this idea of a pure capitalism that's kind of this phantasmatic figure um, that doesn't really have any definition, but maybe the very idea of it is what can, you know, bring it into existence. Um, and that again, yeah, that, that, you know, in, 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 in encouraging this, this separation between the human and, 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 uh, and capitalism, um, by kind of, you know, exacerbating that sense of alienation that we have, um, new modes of thinking, new philosophies literally might, you know, emerge from, that process and yeah i guess now i've kind of lost where the, my original point was from your question i was getting on a tangent <laughs> i was all about the human subject right yeah um so yeah like been able to been able to separate you know been able to actually um understand what capitalism is doing to us um you know maybe that can you know inaugurate a new way of thinking you know about how we can act for ourselves without capitalism as if to say you know encouraging capitalism to go off and be its own thing is in some senses seen as just like you know um it's just to stop pretending that we're holding on to any sort of leash um just again it's the it's the sort of promethean thing to acknowledge that we have no control over this strange economic system um doesn't necessarily you know is, is no is no uh, abdication of responsibility Rather, it means that we should, you know, we should, we should stop trying to be responsible for the system and actually take responsibility for ourselves. Um, and yeah, in that sense, you know, the, 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 the acceleration of the human subject alongside the acceleration of capitalism, um, both those processes can be disentangled. Um, and that's kind of something that comes up in the course too, this cultural sense that, you know, technologically capitalism is, 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 is progressing at an alarming rate. Um, but culturally, it's as if we, we you know, we kind of, we kind of hate this speed. We hate the fact that a new iPhone comes out every year or something. So we, you know, we kind of, uh, we kind of pull, we, we, we do, we, we do a certain amount of drag on that system culturally. Um, I, I make the example of video games. You know, the fact that I think I've bought three, four video games this year and all of them are remakes from like the 1990s. Um, uh, and, and having this sense that, you know, it's actually quite nice to just 
see something to, to you know, it's, we have a desire for the familiar. Um, uh, and I don't think that's necessarily a reactionary, um, like a, a part of a reactionary nature. It's just to say that, you know, that the technology is, is, uh, is accelerating far faster than our memories are. So, um, you know, that it's actually the familiar is far more fleeting than the new. So we hold on to the familiar, um, rather than kind of embracing the potentials that might come from, um, uh, yeah, this, this rapidly accelerating technology that is far exceeding our bounds, you know, being able to actually get familiar with new products before the new one comes along. Um, if we can, if we can detach capitalism from that very, you know, that, that our need for whatever that emotion's called, that need for nostalgia, um, you know, that frees us up as well. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's a good place to, to finish up with the chat. If we just um, say a few things about the course. So the course, as I said, should be coming out uh, this Friday on the, the 24th. Um, so there's going to be 10 lectures. So I, I've got three lectures, but mine are a, a bit longer than Matt's. So I've got about three, three and a half hours of content, and Matt's got about five hours. So you're looking over eight hours of content, um, 10 lectures in total uh, with the transcripts. Um, so then the pricing is going to be just for those course materials, uh, be a hundred pounds, um, for those course materials and a seminar, um, which there'll be four dates put up, um, all on weekends, one session at roughly 10 AM, uh, GMT and one at about 7 PM GMT, uh, two of them each, that will be 150 pounds for that one. And then for all of that plus a uh, one on two with me and Matt it'll be uh 200 pounds um so this uh promo video will be going on YouTube um on the Tuesday and then I'll put the links in the description for those interested in the course um after the fact once it's released um but it will also be on about it and sharing it on um Twitter and all social media and things like that um so if there's something that um interests you or you know you want to enroll in uh yeah just find the links or if you have any questions then feel free to message me or me or matt so it's metanomad on twitter or uh is it zeno gothic on twitter yeah yeah uh is there anything you want to add uh no just it sounds great i'm really looking forward to to doing this um and yeah excited for more accelerationist chats with even more people yeah okay uh yeah see you guys there